Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Ve salatu ve selamu ala seyyidil mursalin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Amma ba'd. This next one is a very subtle aphorism which discusses a very special relationship between the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with people. He says, رُبَّمَا فَتَحَ لَكَ بَابَ الطَّاعَةِ وَمَا فَتَحَ لَكَ بَابَ الْقُبُولِ رُبَّمَا فَتَحَ لَكَ بَابَ الطَّاعَةِ وَمَا فَتَحَ لَكَ بَابَ الْقُبُولِ وَرُبَّمَا قَضَى عَلَيْكَ بِالذَّنْبِ فَكَانَ سَبَبًا فِي الْوُسُولِ Sometimes he opens for us the doors, sometimes he opens the door of obedience for you. So you start doing worship, etc. But not the door of acceptance. Now how is that even possible in the minds of the majority of people if the person generally does a worship? <coughs> Everybody thinks that's a good thing. And it sounds like a good thing and it is a good thing in a sense. He's saying sometimes he opens the doors of obedience to you but not the door of acceptance. So these are two different things. Sometimes he condemns you to sin and it turns out to be the cause of arriving at him. So sometimes that sin works better to our benefit than the worship. But just from the outset, it's very important to clarify here that this is not a sin that a person a, per, a person cannot have this in mind and embark on a sin for that reason. Because it may not turn out that way. He says it may be. That certain sins that we become engaged in becomes a door to our acceptance. <coughs> Sometimes as people who are involved in a particular sin or think about a particular sin constantly in their mind, that's a great burden on them. They have ihsas. They have feeling about it. In the sense that, why do I think about this? If you look at the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum ajma'een, when they came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they said that sometimes we're thinking of things that we can't even bring to our mouths. <clears throat> you know, there's no way we can explain them to you. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that is pure faith. So tie this in with that. But sometimes we may have in our minds inclination to a certain disobedience or a sin, fantasizing about certain pleasures or sins we may have committed in the past or whatever it may be. But that gives us such a bad feeling. Sometimes our behavior is so bad we regret it and it constantly bothers us that why do we act that way? Why do we behave that way? So subhanAllah, what he's saying is that that may be the, the benefit of this is that and maybe the reason is to bring you closer to him. Whereas sometimes a person is doing worship and he thinks it's enough. So let us see, <clears throat> look at this in a bit more detail. Essentially, the, you don't get much out of a worship if there's no qubuliyah with it. There has to be qubuliyah with it. The worship is our deed. 
Qubuliyah is Allah's action. And at the end of the day, that's what we're doing it for. You can go and do the biggest shopping you want to go and give somebody a gift, but they don't appreciate it. Then you feel like everything is gone in vain. If they accept it, subhanallah. So Qubuliyah is the main thing. Likewise, what's the point of a question or asking or a request to somebody when it's not accepted? If we request something, that means we're in need. We ask them for it. They don't give it to us. Then we feel that it's been a futile, a futile attempt. Our worship, in essence, is, an, is a request for acceptance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's all it is. Oh Allah, this is what we're doing. These are the various different gifts we're providing to you as your servants. <coughs> Accept them from us. <coughs> because ta'ah and obedience... Worship is supposed to be the wasila. It's supposed to be the the means of gaining love for the one who's being gifted. Why do you give somebody a gift? So that you can create some affection and bond between. You can then try to di- direct that, attract that person's attention towards you. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our muta' the one who we're directing our obedience to, and He doesn't accept it, He doesn't turn towards the one gifting it, doesn't consider it anything. Imagine you give somebody a gift and it's like they just laugh at it and they move on. What kind of a gift is this? How bad does that feel? Allahu Akbar. So what we really want from our worship is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens the door for us to his court. He lifts some veils from between us and him so we can feel more of his presence. And he makes us sit among his beloved ones. He gives us a position among his beloved ones. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up the door of action to us, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up the door of action for us, obedience for us, and you do everything to do that action as well, it's not that you're just doing it absent-mindedly. You're doing everything to do that action. But you don't finding the fruits of it. You don't feel anything out of it. You have no sweetness out of it. You don't feel any congeniality with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't feel in the presence. You don't feel disassociated and wahsha disquietude from others and you don't have that satisfied feeling in your heart then do not be deceived because maybe he's opened the door of worship for us and he hasn't opened up the door of Qubuliyah for us. So there is a difference between us worshipping him and 
the worship being of such a caliber that it's always accepted. Because if he doesn't give us qubuliyah, then that means he doesn't allow us to reach him. The wusul doesn't take place. And the whole maqsad of this path, the whole objective of this path is wusul ilallah. Reaching Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the whole maqsad of this path, is to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Such that you become totally reliant on him. That you feel good when you're in his presence. You feel good in salat rather than out of salat. That's why um, some, some of the mashayikh have said, احذروا حلاوة الطاعات فإنها سموم قاتلة What that means is <coughs> beware of, be cautious of the sweetness, the pleasure that you get out of worship because that is poison which is murderous it will kill you because what it does is لِأَنَّهَا تَقْبَضْ صَاحِبَهَا فِي مَقَامِ الْخِدْمَةِ وَيُحْرِمْ مِنْ مَقَامِ الْمَحَبَّةِ You get just satisfied with that worship. So it clutches you in the station of service, of just doing the, just doing the deed, but it prevents you from gaining mahabba you don't focus on allah as much oh allah give me qubuliya i don't feel his presence because you're so focused on the worship itself and he says there's a big difference between the one who is just involved in the khidmah and the one who he has chosen for his love and his mahabba and he has chosen to be in the close majlis to him in the close in the close presence to him. Now this is, as you can see, it's on a very high, very subtle level. This is obviously for people who are already on the road of worship but can't find any kind of aspiration be, be beyond that. They say that the worship is not the asal. The worship is not the asal. You can't say this to people outside. You can't say this to everybody. Otherwise they'll think, where do we go? We're not even at the first level yet. First get into the door and start doing khidmat, then you get higher up. So it's a door, it's a wasila, it's, a, it's, it's the stepping stone. But that stepping stone has to be done. You can't just get into the hadra without any worship because there's no proof. So this is only being said to people who are on the path, who have some understanding, who have a focus to do this. So there's a station above just doing worship. So even if we're just, that, that doesn't mean you stop the worship because the worship is the path to it. It's the proof of it. So that's why what, um, sh uh, th then he says, so sometimes in that case, putting a sin on someone, uh, getting somebody involved in sin, works out better for having the person really focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who am I disobeying? He's watching me and I'm still doing it. While the worship that a person was doing sometimes acts as a hijab uh, to the next station of qubuliyah and true presence. That's why he says, وَرُبَّمَا قَضَى عَلَيْكَ الذَّنْبَ فَكَانَ سَبَبًا فِي الْوُسُولِ Sometimes he decrees a sin on you. And that becomes then your means to reaching and attaining him. 
Because when a person wants to get to his Lord, when he's traveling on the path to his Lord, his intention is wusul, to gain pr- closeness to the presence of his Habib, of his beloved, and his satisfaction. Then sometimes what happens is that a person gets bored, gets tired, becomes burdened in, in that path. Or sometimes a person gets lazy. Sometimes a person gets lazy. So then, now, this is making a distinction between a person who's always involved with sin. That sin is hardly ever going to be unless the person gets realization. But this is speaking about a person who's generally focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but then ends up committing a sin. Because what hap- what's happening, he's saying, is that sometimes when a person is going and things become kind of routine and he kind of loses his focus, you know, you lose your energy once in a while, then you need a pep talk. It always helps in any field in the world. You get a bit tired, you get a bit... And then when you hear that bayan or you hear that uh, inspiration, you hear that motivation or something happens, then you kind of get up on your feet and you get serious again. So this is what it's saying is that sometimes what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does to such a person who generally doesn't commit sins, right? He involves him in sin, so then he jerks him out of his reality. Look, am I gone that bad that I've actually now missed the Fajr prayer? That's probably the biggest sin. That, that's probably the common sin that happens to people. That you miss your Fajr. Like, oh no, I miss my Fajr. And if you miss it twice, two in a row, then you really feel bad. La hawla wa la illa billah. How can I miss two Fajr? Then you start thinking of all sorts of things. So that's the purpose of that sin. That, that's, that's the purpose of that action. So, فَسَلَّطَ الْحَقُّ عَلَيْهِ ذَنْبًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets him involved in a sin. Or his nafs overcomes him and he drops again. Meaning, does what he's doesn't want himself to do. But when he gets up from that, then he's stronger than when he dropped in. So whenever we do, if we're trying our best and we do end up committing a sin, then this is the way we need to think about it. This is potential for me. Yes, we need to feel bad and all the rest of it, but then we need to turn it into good for us. Then a person who gets up like that is going to start really working towards his goal again. He's going to get out of his negligence, his laziness. And now he's really going to want to discover Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these kind of things don't have to happen. Until the person enters into the hadra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, a person who is on his path somewhere is going to Manchester or wherever it is that he's going. On the way, he stopped somewhere and was really tired, he fell asleep. I only wanted a 25-minute nap so that I could feel fresh and, and carry on. Because I need to get, by 4 o'clock I need to get there. But if I carry on driving like this, I, I'm, you know, I'm going left and right. So I stop on the side service station and I fall asleep. 20 minutes I put my phone on. But I am so tired, I don't wake up after 20 minutes. I wake up after one hour. And somebody causes a commotion outside, that's when I wake up. And I see that my alarm clock is going on, but I'm, I didn't hear it. Now what's going to happen? All my laziness is going to go. My meeting is at 4 o'clock. I need to get there. So then I'm going to really drive. 
So that's this kind of similar kind of thing here. That's why in the hadith, there's a hadith which says that رُبَّ ذَنْبٍ أَدْخَلَ صَاحِبَهُ الْجَنَّةِ There are certain sins that will take a person into Jannah. A sinner can't consider, I mean, a person who's constantly involved in sin, he is also, subhanallah. You know? yeah, that's obviously not the point here. The point here is that the person who doesn't generally sin and then suddenly falls into a sin. وَكَيْفَ ذَاكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ They said, how is that possible? How do you get a sin that takes you into Jannah with a ajeeb sin? You know, what kind of sin is that? لَا يَزَالُ تَائِبًا فَارًا مِّنْهُ Because the person feels so bad that he is constantly making tawbah then. Tawbah means coming back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he then runs away from that sin. خَائِفًا مِّنْ رَبِّهِ And then he becomes really fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala حَتَّى يَمُوتَ Until his death, he's like this. فَيُدْخِلَهُ الْجَنَّةِ and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just enters him into Jannah because of that status. In another hadith from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لَوْ لَمْ تُذْنِبُوا لَذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِكُمْ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, by the one in whose hand is my, is, uh, who in, uh, by the one in whose possession is my nafs, if, uh, he's, uh, uh, if you do not sin, sometimes, yani, لَذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِكُمْ Allah will take your nation away. If this was a sin, if this was a nation of no sinners, Allah will take you away. وَلَجَاءَ بِقَوْمٍ يُذْنِبُونَ And He will bring a <coughs> group of people who do sin. فَيَسْتَغْفِرُونَ And then they seek forgiveness. فَيَغْفِرُ لَهُمْ And then Allah forgives them. Allah's name is Ghaffar. He wants to forgive people. He is Ghafoor. He wants to forgive people. The Prophet ﷺ also said about certain worships that you do openly, but nothing comes out of them. رُبَّ صَائِمٍ لَيْسَ لَهُ مِنْ صِيَامِهِ إِلَّا الْجُوعِ وَرُبَّ قَائِمٍ لَيْسَ لَهُ مِنْ قِيَامِهِ إِلَّا السَّهَرِ There are so many fasting people who do not get anything out of their abstinence, their fasting except hunger so all they really get at the end of it is that I've stayed, I stayed hungry I didn't get anything out of it what was the point you sometimes think you jump through so many hoops you spend so much money to get to central London because there is you know a promotion on or whatever so you actually spend money to go there when you get there you don't get it so you thought what's the point of all of this time and money that I spent to get there I ended up I lost it and a person who <clears throat> there's so many people who stay awake at night standing in prayer they get nothing out of that except sleeplessness they just wasted their time that's why that sin that a person becomes engaged in sometimes that takes away all of this laziness and negligence is much much better than good deeds that don't come with the spirit and if you look subhanallah uh, most people are involved in sins and the people who are in worship unfortunately the majority of them their worship is routine this is our state majority of our worship is just routine <coughs> majority of our worship is just routine there's no spirit in it the other day I was in one of the northern towns and what I mentioned to everybody and there were people from all ranges of age um, Everybody, you know, to, uh, little kids to 50, 60 year olds, I'm sure. 
said, how many of you know Surah Al-Fatiha by heart? So pretty much everybody puts their hand up. How many of you know what it means? Hardly anybody. And then we wonder why we don't gain uh, uh, the spirit of our salat. We don't even know what we're reading. Surah Al-Fatiha is supposed to be a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we're missing that opportunity each time. There's no fervor in it. So uh, uh, most of us unfortunately where we don't have the spirit which is which is our which is our problem so th- what this is trying to say is don't drop your worship but try to improve it the main focus is qubuliyah is to gain acceptance from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then he says ma'siyatun awrathat dhanban ma'siyatun awrathat dhullan waftiqaran ma'siyatun awrathat dhullan waftiqaran khayrun min ta'atin awrathat izzan wastikbaran similar kind of thing but phrased differently he says a disobedience that bequeaths humiliation and extreme need a disobedience that brings with it humiliation and extreme need is better than an obedience that bequeaths self-infatuation and pride. So if by the worship we're becoming proud, we don't want to speak to people who we consider sinners, and this is a big problem in some places. There is a class difference. You know, like the rich people don't speak to the poor and they have no idea. You've got people who are in their niqabs and in their big beards and masjid, and they don't want to even look at people who don't cover, but they're Muslimin. So there's no interaction between the two and because of that you get two separate classes and this is the problem. This is what I mentioned also in up north because there are some, alhamdulillah in London we have three classes. You have the middle class who are trying, moving up. But in many of these northern towns it's kind of this barrier between the, the haves and the have-nots and it's really sad. So, you know, if a woman cannot do niqab, well she can do start with hijab. She can start sometimes. A woman contacted me and she said she wants to do niqab. She's a convert, she wants to do niqab, but she works in the NHS. She can't do it there, but can I do it when I'm not at the hospital? And I said, yes, of course you can do that. You can start off there. You have to start somewhere. It's a big, it's a big thing to do. She said, oh, but then there's people who are telling me that that's hypocrisy. So I explained to her, hypocrisy would be for those who are doing it culturally. Because their family wants them to do it. As soon as they go into a shop, as soon as they go into a restaurant, I've seen this, they'll lift it up. Because they're not serious about it. They're doing it because of their culture and society. But you're trying to now do it. So you do it when you can. It's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is an aspect of the heart. You want to do it, but you can't. There's people who don't want to do it and they are doing it. So all of this is a very individual suffer, individual uh, individual journey. But every one of our individual journeys need to progress. You can't stay stagnant. You have to move on. So ma'siyatun awrathad dhamban, dhullan waftiqaran, khayru min ta'atin awrathad izzan wastikbaran. See, a disobedience... When it creates that feeling of need, man, what am I? What's wrong with me? And this is this, this is the general complaint of any murid. Any murid. 
you know, in the path. This is the general complaint. I just can't help this. I feel bad about this. This is the, the, the disobedience that has created iftiqar, need for Allah. Need for His attention. Need for His fadl and His grace. This is the case. This is, if, if this path gives you nothing more than that, alhamdulillah. Because what's the point of continuously in sin and no regret, no remorse, no guilt? So if this path, the only thing that it gives us is that every time we commit a sin, we feel bad about it and we feel in need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then subhanallah, then that is really good. If that's all it gives us even, inshallah, it'll give us much more. But if that's all it gives us, the ihsas and this constant, this focus, this, uh, this feeling, subhanallah. This is superior to that worship which makes a person arrogant. They feel they've gone, they've, they've reached. Because the whole maqsad of obedience is khudur, reverent, fear, submission, submission, khushu, reverent, fear, inqiyad and tadhallul and inkisar. Inqiyad, submission, to feel, to, to submit yourself, tadhallul, self-humiliation, inkisar, self-degradation. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said, "Ana al munkasirati min ajali." I am with those people who, who, whose hearts are broken because of me. Their hearts are trembling because of me. They're feeling bad because of me. They're feeling at loss because of me. If your obedience is devoid of these types of benefits, of these types of feelings. But rather they are associated with the opposites of these feelings where you feel confidence, security, I'm doing good. Then that sin which brings about the, those good feelings is superior than this worship. Because he says there's no ibrah, there's no, there's no benefit in the, the external form of worship. What's really, what has to be taken into consideration is what comes from it. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah la yandhuru ila suwarikum wa la ila a'amalikum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't look at your forms and your deeds. He looks at your qulub. This hadith underscores this. He doesn't look at your actions. Aren't actions necessary? You know, but what this is getting to the, 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 the real depth of it. And it's the Sufis that bring out these kind of meanings, that understand these layers of meaning that are involved in here. La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. So then he says, فَثَمَرَةُ الطَّاعَةِ هِيَ الذُّلُّ وَالْإِنْكِسَارِ وَثَمَرَةُ الْمَعْصِيَةِ هِيَ الْقَسْوَةُ وَالْإِسْتِكْبَارِ The true fruits of obedience is this feeling of um, uh, inkisar, uh, humiliation and need. And the... From from a uh, from a disobedience, the fruit, I, I, the general fruit you get of a ma'asiyah is qaswa wal istikbar, is hardness of the heart, and uh, arrogance. So if out of your worship you're getting those fruits, and out of your disobedience you're getting the other fruits, then what's going on here? Has that worship become a disobedience, and that disobedience become a worship? That's the whole point of it. Things are very complex in this world, and this is part of that complexity. 
that you know one thing happens but you're getting something else out of it that's why imam muhasibi says radiyallahu an allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's objective with his servants are their hearts that's what he wants that's why when an alim or a abid is mutakabbir is arrogant and a jahil and a sinner is humble and he humiliates himself out of awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fear of him, then he is more of an obedient person than that alim or abid. Shaykh Abu Abbas al-Mursi, he says, any bad deed, any bad uh, etiquette with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that then creates adab for Allah because of your uh, uh, remorse, then that is not a bad etiquette with Allah to start with because it came out good because it's the, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't generally uh, seize anybody at the first instance he always sees what what's happening afterwards because he knows that's why Abu Abbas Mursi his whole perspective was he had a lot of hope for people because his whole focus was this um, extensive uh, rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's what his focus was on so he he, he had the, the, and the more a person has that the less condemning they will be of people they will try to encourage them towards the positive see in certain bayans there's more of a condemning attitude always the punishments are mentioned always why are you doing this why are you doing that kind of attitude if you look at the truly successful ones, their focus is generally on showing the mercy of Allah because people generally become associated with the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They want that mercy to understand who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. So his constant thought was on the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's why he had a lot of hope for people. And when you have hope for people, you can do more. Because the Prophet himself said that if you think that people are corrupted and gone, then you're the worst of them because you have no hope for people. And you may have exaggerated in your decision and your uh, judgment about people. فَأَنْتَ أَفْسَدْتُهُمْ You know, أَفْسَدُهُمْ In fact, Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi, he's, he's buried there in Iskandariya. He's the Shaykh of Ibn Atayillah al-Iskandari. He is um, some really great uh, waliullah. He, he says that كَانَ يُكْرِمُ النَّاسَ عَلَى نَحْوِ رُتْبَتِهِمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ He would honor people according to their status with Allah. So much so that sometimes a person who's obedient would come to him and he wouldn't give him much attention. Somebody who's a worshipper, somebody who's doing deeds would come to him and he wouldn't give him much uh, attention. And sometimes a disobedient person would come and he would honor him. Because he knew that, that he could see that that person who's doing obedience thinks he is done, he is mutakabbir. Now you might think, well, the true shafaqah would mean that you need to help him as well. But this was the way of helping him to show him that I'm not getting any obedi- uh, anything here. That means there must be something wrong here. It makes you think. It does make you think. Abu Yazid radiyallahu anhu says, Nuditu fi sirri. It was announced in myself. I, I received an announcement. خَزَائِنِي مَمْلُوءَةٌ بِالْخِدْمَةِ My treasures 
are filled with khidmah. فَإِنْ أَرَدْتَنَا If you want us, فَعَلَيْكَ بِذُلَّةِ وَالْإِفْتِقَارِ If you want us, then you need to submit yourself. And you need to have that lowly attitude. Rasulullah said, لَوْ لَمْ تُذْنِبُوا If you do not sin, لَخَشِيتُ عَلَيْكُمْ مَا هُوَ أَشَدَّ مِنْ ذَلِكَ Then I fear something that is even worse than that. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali mentions this as well. He says, Al-Ujb. Hadith of Bukhari Muslim. Al-Ujb, self-conceit. Start worshipping, you think you're done, then you get self-conceit. The Prophet said, لَوْلَا أَنَّ الذَّنْبَ خَيْرُ مِنْ الْعُجُبِ مَا خَلَّ اللَّهُ بَيْنَ مُؤْمِنٍ وَذَنْبٍ أَبَدًا If it wasn't for the fact that dhamb, a sin, is superior than conceit, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would never have made a path between a believer and uh, sin. That's such a hopeful hadith. There would be no path between a believer and a sin if it wasn't for the fact that by just obedience, sometimes it will lead you to conceit. That's why the this missing of fajr once in a while, right, should provide this kind of benefit. If it's not done out of negligence, of course, you don't even set your alarm and you just go to sleep. I'm not. I just want my full eight hours of sleep. It's a different story. That's a sin right from the beginning. Your whole night is a sin if you do that. Somebody asked Junaid al Baghdadi. Ayazni al-Arif Does an Arif commit zina? A person who has no sense of Allah Can he commit zina? What do you think his answer is? You think that's a possibility? He said His answer was of a person An Arif He says وَكَانَ أَمْرُ اللَّهِ قَدْرًا مَقْدُورًا Everything All the matters of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Have been decreed Basically saying that could be part of the decree as well, that that's a possibility. There was a great Naqshbandi uh, Shaykh of, uh, in Gujarat, about probably 150 years ago, 100, 150 years ago, in the early times. Lajpur. He was a big Shaykh. He, once, some of it, two of his murids, they went to Burma. Lots of Muslims went to Burma, just like they went to Africa and so on. So there's lots of Gujaratis there, right? So this one murid of his, he was there alone, without family or anybody. He needy got involved, he planned zina. As he got to the door of the house that he had decided to meet, as he got to the door, he felt a slap on his face. And... He sees his sheikh's vision, uh, uh, saying, Khabardar, like, what are you up to? Right? And he, he said that was just, that just took him completely. He ran from that place. When he went back to India and he went to the sheikh and met him, he said, I saved you, didn't I? <laughs> now, this is a heavy kind of story. You know, it's not something that happens every day. And it's not something you tell everybody as well because people won't understand, what is, you know, what is sheikh knows everything or whatever. No, these are possibilities that it can happen it doesn't happen with every if that happened with every shaykh and burid subhanallah that would be wonderful you know, I don't mind getting a step every time I was about to do something wrong you know but that's it's not gonna have it's just uh, sometimes sometimes these things happen uh, somebody asked me a question yesterday I went to Turkey to one of the Naqshbandi Majalis there and 
he says they tell us to do tasawwur shaykh that for 10 minutes a day you have to just think about your shaykh put him in your mind and think about your shaykh so that isn't some Nakshbandis do that and I think the maqsad of it is that very difficult for a person to put Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his mind because Allah is transcendent so for as a practice you see your shaykh as a means to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so you focus on your shaykh and eventually then it then you you then transfer it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you become transferred to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala eventually we, we don't do this because it, you know there's room for uh, con- it's, it's controversial right so we don't do this we don't, you don't have to do it you, that's why the, we have this other focus and the whole maqsad of it is to start taking the name of Allah 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 in your hearts so we start off with thinking about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it's and then you give thanks to Allah by saying Allah, Allah, Allah. So it's kind of to jumpstart your heart to say that. If your heart just is always thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can say Allah, Allah. Without that feeling, that's completely fine. So that's just, that, that is not the maqsood. The, this thought is not the maqsood. Allah, Allah from your heart is the maqsood. In fact, that's not even the maqsood. The maqsood is that you actually start thinking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you can't do that until we, start, we go through the name of Allah. And Allah says that in the Quran as well. I was reading another Naqshmandi Shaykh recently. He used to say, you sit and you close your eyes and you focus on your heart and you write the name of Allah on your heart. Tasawwuran, in your mind. You write the name of Allah in your heart like on a board on your heart and then your heart is just taking that name. So as you can see, it's the same kind of objective. It's just how do you get your heart to think about something? Did you see what I'm saying? How do you get your heart to take the name of Allah? Because it's a very abstract kind of thing. You're not saying it with your tongue. It's a real presence of the mind. The mind has to be there. So he, if you try that, that's, that, that works as well for many people. You know, you, you imagine that there's a Allah written on your heart and you're taking Allah, you're taking that name. Allah, Allah, Allah. So these are just different ways that different shuyuk will tell you to do. Then another thing that the brother asked me is that, he says, what I heard there was that if you get into this path and everything, then the shaykh, when, when you are being questioned in your grave, the shaykh will help you. Right? The shaykh will come into your mind and help you. Now, it's the way it's said is wrong. Do you understand? Your shaykh will come and help you. Now, you can't think that that may, He says, but isn't that like Hazin, Nazin, and everything? I said, look, it's probably the way it was conveyed to you or the way you're processing it. There's many people who will have experiences in certain stages, certain times in their life, like this, sh- like this person who went to Burma and got slapped, right? This is all a possibility that you yourself will feel that, because in your mind, and of course there's an amount of grace there as well, but in your mind, your reference of piety is your sheikh. Your reference of admonition, your reference of correcting yourself is your sheikh. So you may think of him at that time. Do you understand? But can your shaykh just come to everybody who's being questioned and they gave as he wants and go and answer? No, he can't. Do you understand? But then you can see how this can be abused and thought of in that sense. How people may think that. This is where the bid'at begin. Do you see what I'm saying? This is where when people don't understand it carefully and then the common theme becomes this. This is where it becomes problematic. Now, Another fine point I want to mention, taking a bit longer here today, but another point I want to mention is that I went to West Africa. And you'll also see this in other traditions as well. They have this 
their whole mizaj and temperament is about speaking about karamat. That's the main focus of their of their discussions. The karamat of this wali, the karamat, and walis have karamat. Inna karamat, uh, you know, karamat al-awliya, karamat al-awliya, haqqun. It's in our aqidah that karama is a haq. It's, it's a reality. Karamat do happen, miracles of pious people. You go to the Salafis, they won't even reject that as a theory. But they will reject most karamat that they hear of people. They will just about begrudgingly even accept that Umar radiallahu anhu her, uh, voice was heard by Sariya when he was in the other country somewhere fighting and Umar then was in Medina. When he said, Ya Sariya al-Jabal, they will agree with that kind of begrudgingly. Like, yeah, yeah, that's allowed because it's uh, Sahih Isnad and everything, right? They're very particular about what they will accept. So they will dismiss most karamats. Then you got the other extreme where they will take every karama, even the you know the the the, the brightened one and everything like that. Like this case, you know what I'm saying. Now what we do uh, as uh, as our deobindis is we're kind of in between. We agree with karamat, we do have karamat, but we don't obsess over them. So in our in the majalis of the deobindi, you're not going to hear major major. Yes, you will hear them once in a while. You will hear them once in a while, but that's not the obsessive point of our our focus. Is the focus. But that, that's why if you sit with certain people and they're going on about their karamat, then you have to understand that's their mizaj. And there could be some level of exaggeration in there and they're willing to accept it. For example, I've heard many, many stories about our mashaykh. Some really, really extreme cases that you would probably have to see to believe. Right? They are a possibility within the realms of possibilities, but they are incredible things. But I've never heard, and again, it's not an impossibility. But I was in West Africa, and they told me one about, uh, about one of the shaykh. He said that he used to have the presence of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam yaqadatan. Yaqadatan means in a wakeful state, twenty-four hours a day. All the time he could see the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's heavy. It's a possibility, but y- you know, as you can see, that this is the mizaj of such people, of such communities. They live by that. They live by that. And I remember when I first went to America, I used to mention a lot of these kind of stories. And one friend came to me and he says, look, our faith is not built on these kind of stories. He, he, you know, he, was, he was a decent kind of individual. He says, our faith is not built on... If you, we need, the more of these kind of stories you mention to people, we're talking not to villagers here. In America, mostly it's an educated crowd. They, they just don't get these kind of stories. So you're talking to the wrong crowd with that. In England, it kind of works. It doesn't work in America. In England, it works with certain crowds, you know, the village crowd, the normal Musalli crowd. It works with those kind of stories. Yeah, wah, wah, mashallah. But it doesn't work with everybody. That doesn't mean they're wrong. It's just that they're not the maksud. If they're not the maksud, why do you bring them all the time? Because our faith is not based on that. When you talk about them too much, then you're hoping for that to happen. And it doesn't happen, then you feel bad. And they're not, not an objective. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. So anyway, I'll just quickly read to you what, uh, what Sheikh Abdullah Gangohi says. He says, Very often, Allah Most High opens up the door of His obedience. Hence, one is able to engross oneself night and day in acts of obedience to paragoratory worship, contemplation, devotional exercises, recitation of the Quran, etc. However, because of the lack of sincerity or vanity or because of despising other Muslims, here he gives reasons for why you could be doing an obedience, as many people are, but they're not getting closer to Allah. And I used to always wonder about this. Look at the namaz he prays. Look at the salah. He's always, he, he does better than me. Five times in the masjid. 
He does this, that, and the other. But you don't see him changing. These people stay the same. Their akhlaq does not change. Otherwise, anybody you see who starts doing dhikr generally softens the heart out, who sins seriously starts doing it. But otherwise, you see certain people who are engaged in worship 24 hours all the time, they're regular there in the masjid and everything, they still have the sharp tongue. They still, hukuk wise, they're very bad. And he says that because the door of acceptance is closed, because of that, though they're doing worship, you can, this is very easy to reconcile these things now. Because of lack of sincerity or vanity or because of despising other Muslims, the door of acceptance is not opened. Thus your deeds remain unaccepted. Sins frequently emerge from the worshipper. Although ostensibly the sin committed is a cause of divine rejection, on account of the exceptionally high degree of remorse, regret and repentance, the sinner attains divine proximity. That tells us that when we do commit a sin, our remorse must be higher than the pleasure we gain from the sin. So that has to be combated, then it will become of benefit to us afterwards. Thus the sin becomes the medium of forgiveness. Therefore the servant should not look at the external form of everything. His gaze should be focused on the inner realities of things. If Allah Most High has blessed one with worship and obedience, one should not despise those who are not involved in acts of piety, nor consider oneself to be superior. On the other hand, if a sin has been committed, one should not despair of Allah's mercy by viewing the enormity of the external form of the sin. Now this short commentary, mashallah, is wonderful. Sheikh Abdullah Gangohi's commentary is just wonderful. A disobedience that bequeaths humiliation and extreme need is better than an obedience that bequeaths self-infatuation and pride. The purpose of worship and invocation is to become humble and to be wholly dependent on Allah Most High. Eliminating the rebellion and arrogance of the ego, if a man commits a sin because of the frailty of human nature and is then torn by remorse, a humility might result that is better than the conceit that a man can develop as a consequence of his acts of worship and piety. Self-infatuation and piety can lead a person to despise other Muslims. A dim-witted person should not now understand from this explanation that it is better to abandon worship and commit sins. The evil of sin and virtue and beauty of obedience are self-evident facts. At this juncture, the sheikhs uh, is, is simply uh, pointing out that the actual method of reaching the divine court is by way of acquiring true humility and dependence on Allah, not through sin. We seek refuge in Allah. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala اللهم انت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والاكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا اله الا انت سبحانك اننا كنا من الظالمين جزا الله عنا محمد ما هو اهله او الله اكسبت اور كامينج توجذر او الله اكسبت ذس مجلس اوف ذكر او الله اكسبت ذس مجلس اوف ذكر او الله جرانت اس اول سينسيرتي او الله جرانت اس اول اكسبتنس او الله جرانت اس اول اكسبتنس Oh Allah, we're here for one maqsan, one, one maqsan and objective alone, which is to reach you, which is to know you, which is to create, have your mahabba and your love and your attention. Oh Allah, don't deprive us of these things. Oh Allah, don't deprive us of these bounties. Oh Allah, you've given us many bounties in this world. Oh Allah, we have the clothes that we want, the, the places to live as we want. We have the food that we want. We have everything. Oh Allah, we have security and safety. Oh Allah, we want safety of the hereafter. 
Oh Allah grant us safety of the hereafter. Oh Allah grant us security. Oh Allah grant us safety. Grant us your love and the love of those who love you. Oh Allah grant us the tawfiq to do your worship and to do your worship properly with sincerity. Oh Allah protect our hearts from hypocrisy. Protect our eyes from khiyana. Oh Allah, oh Allah, oh Allah, protect us from all the evils that are out there. Protect us and our progeny. Oh Allah, protect us and our progeny. We ask that you turn your attention towards us. That you grant us, you grant us your your bounties, your love, your affection, your compassion. Oh Allah, the tawfiq to do that which pleases you all the time. The tawfiq to do that which pleases you all the time. Oh Allah, make our hearts the way you want them to be. Oh Allah. Allah, turn our hearts towards you. Allow your dhikr to emanate from every part of our body. O oh Allah, grant us concentration, devotion in our dhikr. O oh Allah, keep us doing your dhikr until we die. O oh Allah, keep us doing your dhikr all the time. Keep us in your remembrance. Keep us in your remembrance. O oh Allah, oh Allah, if we ever fail, we, we ask that you forgive us and you pick us up. And you allow us to you allow us to get closer to you. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask for your closeness. We ask for your closeness. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Aizati Amma Yasifun wa salamun al Mursaleen wa alhamdulillah.